Good evening, my children. Today is July 9th, Friday, 11.03 p.m. This is your host, Shay Ben Yaakov, and I want to welcome you once again to Jacob's Kitchen. Thank you, folks, for tuning in tonight on a Friday night. Some of you uh, are are welcoming the Sabbath tonight by giving the blessing over the wine and over the bread. And uh, others tonight are getting ready to go out and have a good time. (laughs) But I can tell you something. I, too, welcome the blessing of, of this Friday night for the Lord our God. We cannot forget all the greatness that the Lord God has done for us. All the great things that God has given us. You know, the word of God mentions that being thankful, the living word mentions that being thankful is a sacrifice. And that is one sacrifice that we should all absolutely give to God. Because when we sacrifice thankfulness to Lord God Almighty, it it does something to our souls. It does something inside of us. What it does, it cultivates us a sense of humility. A sense of being thankful. When you're, when you're not thankful for what God has done for you, and you feel like, well, I don't need to thank him because I've done everything on my own and, and I've gotten everything on my own and my parents have given me everything. And why should I thank why should I thank some being that I can't even see, hear, listen to? You know, and that's that's the complete opposite of humility. That's that's the that that is self-pride uh and preservation. You feel like you want to hold on to yourself and your own strength and your own name brand and who you are as an individual. But the thing about it is God continually always not only uh, identifies himself to us in subtle ways, but he gives us true identity. Not like the world gives you identity. The world itself will not give you an identity. In fact, today we're stuck in a culture that wants to actually strip away identity. And may I add, at the youngest point, it wants to strip identity away uh, from little children. And so how important is it to have identity? You know, the importance of having identity is when somebody looks at you and they recognize what? First, your face, because your face is an identity. Secondly, they recognize if they recognize your face, they recognize your name and they know who you are. A, a, a third item of identity is who you are as an individual, whether you're masculine or female, and that is God-given as well. And so, these are the identities that God gives us. Masculinity, femininity, a name, an image. And imagine the world being able to strip you away from all these identities, these blessings that God has given you so People can recognize you so you can be acknowledged so you can belong. But if the world can strip you from these identities, they can make you faceless. They can name they can make you nameless and they can make you a non-binary person which cannot be identifiable whether male or female. Once the world does this to you, You are no longer recognizable to anyone, let alone your family or even the world. You're you're a faceless individual 
with no name and no face. And imagine, how can you be one who belongs? How can you be one who feels like you're part of, of society, a part of culture, when society itself is trying to basically degender you, dehumanize you, and if you will, now you're going from being a human being to simply a commodity. Imagine being turned into a commodity. You know, you pick up a rock, and a rock has no face. Uh, a rock ha- is neither male or female, and a rock doesn't have a name. It doesn't have its own name, if you will. You know, you can't pick up a rock and say, this rock is Brian, or this rock is Stephanie. No, it's faceless, it's nameless, and, 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 it, doesn't, and it doesn't identify as male and female. This is pretty much the type of value the world wants to degrade you to. Something that is just simply a commodity. And when you become a commodity, it's quite simple to now make you a number versus a name. Now it's quite not now if you're a, if you're considered a number to the world, you are something that can be coded, you are something that can be traced, you are something that can be traded and eventually something that can be bought and eventually something that can be sold. So, I want folks to awaken up When God gives you an identity, he gives you a beautiful thing. He wants you to be known. He wants you to be seen. He wants you to be heard. And he wants you to be identified. Because this is the good way. This is God's way. And so I'm here here today to tell you that today we are going the route of God's way. In Jacob's kitchen, we're going God's way. I want you all to have a seat at my table. And I want you all to get your cooking gear and your flour and your sugar. It's time for us to bake the living word of God. It's time for us to eat the light, to eat the bread of life, and to recognize that we we are part of a family, the great family. The family of what? The family of those who, who we are the seekers. That's who we are. We are the seekers. We seek the great I am. We seek... We seek Hashem, the name. We seek Almighty God. That's who we're seeking. We are seeking the King of the universe. And and we will learn as we go to the living word of all the patriarchs and of all the leaders and of of everybody who, who also were a part of this journey as well. All the way to the very end, to the very end of the New Testament. And I'll tell you something. The New Testament and the Old Testament, it's almost like you put a curtain between the two. But I can tell you something. Uh, What I say, many individuals would probably look at me cross-eyed and think I'm really weird for saying this. But this is my true belief because I'm on my journey. And you have to go on your journey. And you have to be suited by the great tailor. You know? And and so... uh, what I mean suited by the great tailor is, is there, uh, there was an angel who, who invited all these people into the gates, into the courtyard. And they were newly fresh souls that just came from earth. You know, people who died and stood there before the angel. And the angel looked at them and he, he called them up by their name. And he looked at all their outfits. And everybody had a horrible fitting outfit. You know, 
And he and he he asked to, he he's come here, young man. Let me see that what the tag of that coat says behind you. Oh, Lutheran, you're Lutheran, yes, Lutheran. You should see how this suit that you're wearing actually fits a Martin Luther perfect. You know, because he's the one he's the one who made the journey. He's the one who came up with his own beliefs. He's the one who came up with his own ideals. You're just simply wearing his suit. That's why it fits you so horribly. Who's next? Ah, yes, Kathy the Catholic. Yes, and on to the individuals who made up those theologies. And on to the individuals who, who, who made up all those ideals. You're wearing his outfit, Kathy. And that's why that outfit fits you so tight and so small on you. It's not meant for you, you know? And, and on to the next individual, you know, Ori the Orthodox, you know, one next to the other. Everybody entering in the gates of, of heaven with ill-fitted suits. And every, every now, once in a blue moon, you'll have one come in. And he'll look at the tag and he'll be tagless. He goes, wow, there isn't a tag on this suit. And everybody sighs, what? It's generic. He has a suit that's... That's generic. It's not even name brand. His suit is generic. And the angel goes, I get it, I get it. Y'all are so judgeful of this person who wears this suit that's generic and has no name tag. And everybody is very proud because they have name tags to show. Because they're rocking name brand. While the individual comes in, he's generic because he doesn't have a tag in his suit. He said, you know what? The angel speaks up for the guy and says, he might be generic. But I'm telling you, do you not see how fine this suit fits this man? And, and do you not see how fine this dress fits this young lady? It's tailored to their bodies to absolute spec, to absolute size. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And so everybody stay silent because the angel makes his point. The great tailor was the one who suited them just right. They seek God their whole lives. And what they did was they didn't allow uh, junk bonds being fed into their heads. And what are the junk bonds? Junk bonds are the theologies. Junk bonds are, are the ideals. And, and the way that man says, you have to believe the way I believe because it's the right way. And the person in the other church says, no, you have to believe the way I believe because it's the right way. And then the most idiotic, stupid thing is they all point each other at each other and they say they're wrong. What sort of stupidity is this? I'm telling you, in, in your journey, and you're seeking your walk to God, nobody's right and nobody's wrong. But I can tell you this, that walking in the light of God and walking in his mercy and walking in his grace, I can tell you something. You, you will be beyond, beyond that particular individual who always wants to prove himself right. You'll be beyond that, beyond that. He's that one individual who comes up to me and says, My brother and sister, do you have your ticket to salvation? And that's the problem. They treat, that, they treat religion like a theme park. Do you got your ticket to salvation? When you walk with God every day, talk to God every day, speak to God every day, pray with God every day, guess what? You are in the family. You are a relative. Okay? How many children have to ask their own dad to save them? You don't have to ask your own dad to save you. Okay? Why? Because he's your father and you're his child. Anybody who, who is a child 
and they walk with their dad, they shouldn't have to ask their dad to save them. It's it's only out of nature that as we we are as those who are blood families know, you know, well, let's put it this way, those who are decent blood families and our loving blood families tend to protect and look out for each other organically and may I add naturally. It, there's no syntheticness in this. In other words, the problem is the person who's sitting there asking you if you got your carnival tickets to salvation is literally sounds like every person you've talked to before who tells you the same message over and over again. It's so genetic. It's like a broken record. Have you done this, brother? Have you done that, sister? And on and on. You, you can line them up for a mile long, 100 people, and they will throw you the same line over and over again like a broken record. My God. And I tell you something, if you've developed your own your own relationship with God and you see God on your own terms, in your own way, you know, I'm not one trying to tell you you shouldn't associate with other believers. I'm not one trying to tell you you shouldn't go to church or you shouldn't go to the temple or you shouldn't go to the synagogue. I'm not telling you any of those things. I do believe it's very important to go to church, to go to the temple, to go to the synagogue. It's very important to go to these things because it's important that we all connect and network, network with one each other, you know. But you have to remember, when you become suited in God's outfit, you take with you wherever you go the spirit of Almighty God, the living spirit of Almighty God. What do we call that again? The Holy Spirit. And in Hebrew, the Ruach HaKodesh goes with you wherever Wherever it goes, it's in you. You are that spark. You are that light. You take it with you wherever you go. Okay? And so let's, let, let's just ponder on that for just a second. You know, on wherever I go, the Spirit of God goes with me. You know, and, and the thing, and why is that so important? Because, because so many times... Your life is not in the church. Your life is not in the temple. Your life is not in the synagogue. You're out in the real world. You're out in the real world. How many people today say, what are you doing, my friend? If you want to ask the Jew or the Gentile, what are you waiting for, Gentile? What are you waiting for, Jew? Or any other person in the religion, don't tell them what they're waiting for as well. But the main thing you probably theme, the main theme you'll probably get is, I'm waiting for the Messiah. In Hebrew, I'm waiting for the Mashiach to come. Christian, who are you waiting for? I'm waiting for the Messiah. I'm waiting for the second coming. My Judaic friend, what are you waiting for? I'm waiting for Mashiach. I'm waiting for the first coming. <laughs> you're two people, you're two individuals waiting for the Messiah to come. Period. You want him to come. Side A wants him to come. And side B wants him to come. You know, one for the first time around. Second side for the second time around. But it doesn't matter because both of them want the same thing. They want the Messiah to come. I can tell you this. Messiah, whether you like to hear it or not. Messiah has come. And he's walked in this earth. And he's gone. The prophet Daniel clearly spoke 
that the Mashiach, that the, the angel told him clearly to the prophet Daniel that the Messiah would walk on the earth during the time of the second temple. During the second temple. And I can tell you this, no other rabbi on the face of the earth during the time of the second temple ever, ever did anything to, to bring... Com- okay. No one in the second temple never did anything, anything may I add, to bring completion to what the Tanakh. Who, who was the rabbi to bring completion or if you will... The, the absolute threading and weaving of God's final purpose and will to be done. Who, what rabbis ever done that during the second, during the time of the second temple? Can anybody think of that? Can anybody out there think of who that rabbi is? Okay, and I don't know about you. But the time, but the time, you know, I, I, I tell you something. People may not think or believe that that that. Um, well, you know, let's let's hold, let's put our foot down here right now. Rabbi Yeshua, Master Rabbi Yeshua, Master Jesus, the Rabbi, was the only individual. That added anything, anything to the completion of the Tanakh. Whether you like it or not. And Revelation, my friend, if you don't know what's going on right now or what's headed our way, it's in the book of Revelation. It will blow your mind. Because honestly, it's beyond me. It's beyond me, but there are but there are a few excerpts that it only of God can let you see and know. Are, are very revealing on what is coming in our future. And in fact, what we already see on these patterns of what can be coming in our future. And it's not a pretty sight at all whatsoever. We all know the way society and culture is going. That's a given. But we can also see uh, for those who for those who are the Christians, you know, you know about the book of Revelation. For those who are the Jews... You have no idea what the book of Revelation is because you don't want to open up that book. You don't want to read. You, you, you don't want to know anything about Rabbi Yeshua because you've been lied to. You've been lied to by your sages. You've been lied to by your rabbis. You've been lied to. They don't know he's not a Greek. Jesus is not a Greek. Jesus is a Jew. Okay? He was a Jew who came to serve the Father. You know? And, and if and if you want to know what Rabbi Yeshua, you know, you probably think, well, what does Rabbi, what does Rabbi Yeshua think about about Hashem, God the Father, the Almighty? What does what does Yeshua tell us about Rabbi Jesus tell us about the Father? You know, well, I, I can tell you this: if if you turn to to uh, John chapter 20 verse 17 in your revised Bible RSV Jesus says to his disciples I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God 
and your God. That's exactly what it says. Read it for yourselves. John chapter 20, verse 17. I am ascending to my father. And he looks at his disciples and your father. And then he goes to my God. And he looks at his disciples and your God. That is who Rabbi Yeshua ascended to. He ascended to Hashem, the Father. And he told, and he told his other, the, the other 12 Jews down there, he told them, the other 12 Jews, my father, your father. And he told the Jews once again, my God, I'm ascending to my God. And he looked at the Jews and he said, your God. He was ascending to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is where Rabbi Yeshua went after he left earth and ascended into heaven. When he rose, when, when uh, this was, of course, after he rose again from the dead and stayed upon the earth to, to preach more and show his disciples that he had risen again, the resurrection. I can tell you this. If you believe in the resurrection, okay, this is your time now to find out who Rabbi Yeshua is, who Jesus is. You know, he wasn't a character to ever go around and tell people, look at me, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. That, that, that was never what Rabbi Yeshua did. He didn't go around and tell them the city and the town and the kings that, you know, look at me, look who I am, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah with a bullhorn and, you know, and, and blowing it like a trumpet. Rather, he was one who was always hiding, going amongst the crowd and the shadows. He was one trying to stay away from individuals. And in fact, people one time chased him to make him king. It's in, it's in the living word to, to make him king over Israel. And yet he, he ran away from all that. You know, pe people uh, uh, time and time again, the rabbis that were there would always question him. Are you the Messiah? You know, are you the one? Why? Because... They knew something was up with him. They just knew inside the heart of hearts that there was something about this man that made them say, are you the one? And, you know, of course, the disciples, a lot of times, Master Rabbi Yeshua struggled with them. Master Rabbi Jesus struggled with the disciples because there were things that they didn't understand again and again. And he would tell them, oh, you little faith. He would, he, would, he would get on them. Do you still not understand? He would tell them. You know? So when he would finish doing things and he was by himself privately with them, he would, he would look at them and say, who do people say I am? And his, his disciples would say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah the prophet, you know? And so forth. But he, would, but he wanted to hear from them. He wanted to hear from them. But who do you say I am? And it was Peter, Simon, who said, who called him the Son of God, Mashiach, the living Mashiach. You know, I can, I can give you the honest truth. The day you see somebody before you, whether in public or whether, you know, whether in public or on television or some sort of social platform, the day you see someone who has the, has, has the chance in public eye, if you will, not in private, not in privacy, but in public eye, the day you see somebody in public eye tell the world that he is Messiah, then that just, 
more than ever undresses him and unveils him as a mere man. Because the day you meet the Messiah, or the day you see the Messiah, he will, he will never, ever, ever have to trumpet that to the public. That's not how it works. Anybody who sits there and tells the whole world in front of cameras and lights and everything that he is the Messiah has automatically disqualified himself as the Messiah. Don't tell me you're the Messiah. You didn't have to ask Jesus if he was the Messiah. Because when they asked, is he the Messiah? He told the disciples, he told the disciples this. He didn't tell the disciples, tell him I'm the Messiah. No, he didn't. He goes, tell his disciples, go tell him this. That I raised the dead. That I opened the eyes of the blind. I make the dumb to speak. I make the deaf to hear. I make the crippled to walk. And in the end, I make the dead rise back to life. Like he did Lazarus. In other words, you don't have to ask. You just have to see. That's what makes a real Messiah. And I can tell you this. What did God, when God the Father left his footprints and, and, and fingerprints all over the, the Torah, the Tanakh, and the writings, he left it all over that. Because he was leaving hints of, of a taste of who he is and what he wants. What did he want? He wanted his name sanctified. More than anything, more than anything, the perfect will of God was to have his name sanctified. And I can tell you this. It's time I clarify the difference on, on, on the difference of why, Yeshua, why Yeshua, Jesus, is different from all of the patriarchs before him falls down to this. Everybody who failed, failed because of their own will and failed, may I add, because they did it in the end for their own sake. And it came down to, in the end, they blindly chose their will. And may I say blindly because it's their, it, it was really their sake and not God's sake. How many times have people done things not for God's sake, but for their own sake? And may I add, thought they were doing it for God's sake. It happens all of the time. All of the time. And in the end, unfortunately, the patriarchs, they, they did things. For, the, if for, for, for God's sake, but ultimately it was their own sake that prevailed in the very end. Their own sake that prevailed in the very end that what? That sealed their fate. Some of y'all say, well, I don't have, a, I don't have to worry about a fate or I don't have to worry about, about predestiny or things like that. Listen to me. You're already pre-wired. You're pre-wired by your institution your church, your synagogue, your temple. You're pre-wired by your parents. You've been pre-wired by society, maybe school. Understand, when you're pre-wired, you already have a set of codes and commands in you and perimeters, may I add, that you are already meant to stay in. And the odds of you leaving those perimeters and those codes and doing something radically different than the way you're wired I guarantee you, you're more likely to win the lottery than to do the to do the latter. And I know it sounds crazy, and I know it's not what you want to hear. 
But this is reality. We ultimately become victims of our own sake. That is the hard truth. Nobody wants to hear, but it's true. However, why should I then even listen? There's no hope for me. I, I, hear, I can hear something right now. There's no hope for me. There's no hope for me because I'm pre-wired. I'm destined to do what I'm pre-wired to do. But what did Rabbi Yeshua say? What did Rabbi Jesus said? He said, do not fear, for I have overcome the world. But how did Jesus overcome the world and make himself separate from all the other patriarchs that came before him? Being that every patriarch in the end succumbed to their own sake. We all know how all their stories ended. And it all, you know, ended, unfortunately, with all of them joining their forefathers. They all had to, they all had to go to sleep and join their forefathers. And some, and some, you know, graciously, some tragically, but this is how it happened. As for Jesus, he had his moment, Rabbi Jesus had his moment. In the Garden of Gethsemane, that was the moment that could have either either categor categorically put him with all the others who, who came before him, or he would be the one to break what could never be broken. But here's a secret. Here's a secret. Rabbi Master Yeshua let let out. A secret to the Pharisees and Sadducees when he spoke to them. And that was his mission. And they were angry at him because of their halacha, which is Jewish law. Which they were trying to pin on him saying that he was breaking, breaking this law. And Jesus looked at them and said, look. And this is where the secret came out. Some of y'all who, 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 who sound like tape recorders and broken records... Uh, I always have this idea of what, of what Jesus came came for and what he came to do. And God bless you, I get it, right? I, I hear, I see that angle where you're coming from. So don't think I'm deaf to what you're saying. But from the Judaic halachic point of view, from the Jewish point of view, the Judaic point of view, he let, he let the mission out. And what's funny is the Sadducees and Pharisees it went over their heads. Had they truly listened to what he said, they would have hit full brakes and said, "What?" But he looked at them and says, "He looked at them and said, he looked at them and said this. I didn't come to, and this was his, and this is why Jesus came. I didn't come to break the law. I came to fulfill the law. Okay. So notice this. Everything that God wanted." Everybody to do since the since Moshe giving out those 10 tablets and beyond that, everything that God needed these people to do was to what? Fulfill the law. And to fulfill the law, you have to fulfill it in life and you have to fulfill it in death. There's just no way around it when it comes to fulfilling the law. Because, because the law comes with, as you remember, when Moshe gives the law, 
the law is also is, is given as a blessing, but when Moshe also gave the law, and everybody forgets this in the Torah, the law is given as a blessing, but in the Torah, the law is also given as a curse. And he gives it. I don't know how many, maybe it's 10, 12, or 20 something curses. Cursed is he who does not do this. Cursed is he who doesn't do that. And then, of course, and then there are the blessings that they give, you know. Uh, it's the it, it's the both sides. It's it's the unfortunate, the two, it's a sword that has two edges. Okay? It's a double-edged sword. One, w- one side can set the bonds free, and one side can kill. It's just the way the law is. The law, the law preserves life, but at the same time, the law takes away life. It gives blessing, it gives cursing. It gives life, it takes away life. So in order for you to fulfill the law, my friend, you must fulfill it on both ends. You must fulfill it on one end to preserve life, and you must fulfill it on the other end, the curse, the cursed side as well. You have to, you have to drink the whole thing. You can't drink half of a drink. You've got to drink the whole thing. You've got to drink the blessing, and you've got to drink the curse. Curse. You got to drink the life and you got to drink the death. The life, meaning you, you, you live out there, you, you follow God's law, you're part of the celebration, you're, you're drinking wine, you're enjoying the weddings, you're living, you're helping people out, you're living your life right as a righteous person. You're blessed because you're a righteous person doing the right thing. Living, living within the boundaries, living within the spectrums, living and walking in the middle of the road without even worrying about the roadsides because you have a heart, a golden heart for God. So you're on the road, my friend. And but then as it goes, there is the other side of the law, too. And that's death for those who do not obey, for those who do not listen. And the and, and when it came, when it came to sanctifying God's name, nobody could do it the way Jesus did it. Why? Because everybody else, when they came to sanctifying God's name, they weren't sanctifying God's name. In the end, they were busy sanctifying their own name. They were looking out for themselves more than they were Almighty God. Why is that? Because that's human nature. That's our nature. Don't ask me why Moses struck the rock. Don't ask me why David laid eyes on uh, Bathsheba. You know? Don't ask me why Samson gave, gave the secret up and Delilah cut his hair. Don't ask me these things because it was not for God's sake Unfortunately, these acts were were not for God's sake. Don't ask me why Solomon, in the end, worshipped idols. But it was not for God's sake. And know this, Mashiach, uh, he who is the Mashiach, let, let the truth out. By what? The Mashiach would come not to be a king, not to rule, and not to bring war, and not to do any of the things that man does so well. No, my friend, the Mashiach came to do one thing, one thing only, to sanctify the name of God, to drink, to fulfill the law, to drink what none of us can drink, the cup of life and the cup of death. 
all at the same time. So back to my point, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sat there and he was one. He was one who had his own will. He had a, the 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 master rabbi had his own will. He you know, he already had it in his head to do to do things a certain way, you know, or and not do things a certain way, but but to to think about how things could go. <clears throat> Excuse me, a certain way for him. And so he cried out for that to see if there was <clears throat> another way, an alternative, if you will. Abba, Father, if you can, take this cup away from me. Lord, please take this cup away from me. Hashem, take this cup away from me. And all he got was silence. And his disciples, of course, all sleeping, can't rely or depend on none of them. But what made him different from all the rest that became that came before him was this. Every man was put in a tomb and slept with his fathers because in the end, they all were overcome by their own will for their own sakes. And they all were buried and stayed buried. Mashiach, the Messiah, and I call him the Messiah because there is your Messiah who walked the earth during that time of the second temple. There is, is, the, is the Savior. There is the one, the man you've been waiting for. There is the one who didn't come to be like any average man. There was the one who came to sanctify God's name. And this is how he did it. He looked up, and it was not just any moment, a moment so intense for him that he was ready to die right there on the spot in the garden of He was at the point of death while he was right there with his hands folded, praying to Almighty Hashem, praying to Almighty God, blood streaming down his head because it, it records that the, the burden and the heaviness was so heavy on him that he was dripping sweats of blood through him the blood was going and coming out as beads of blood dripping down from his head because he knew that this was no easy task and he was torn between two things his own will and God the father's will and as he stood there with blood dripping down his face he looked up and he decided to do Something that no man, no man or patriarch could do before him. And that was to do the perfect will of God the Father. He looked up and he said, no, not my will, but thy will be done. He broke the never ending curse. He decided to drink the drink. He decided that the buck stops here. I am going to be the one to sanctify God's name. I am going to be the one to fulfill the law, which nobody under this earth for the love of God can let alone fill. Barely people can't even fill the first 10 commandments, let alone the 613 mitzvot, the 613 commands. You can forget about there isn't anybody on earth that can fill any of those. But you know what? There in the Garden of Gethsemane, all laws would be fulfilled. For what? So that God's name would be sanctified. 
It was for the sanctification of God's name. Why is that? Because God cares about his image towards humanity. He cares about what his name is to humanity. And nobody showed that care until Jesus walked the earth. How did Jesus sanctify God's name, you ask? He did it by showing the people what God the Father wanted to give them. He wanted to give them perfect health. He wanted to give them all the gifts that money came by. Clothing the hungry, feeding the sick, casting out demons, healing the crippled, the lame, the lime, the leopards, taking those who were cast out of society and going with them and, and sitting down and having dinner with them like Zacchaeus, people who were outcasts. He went out and he looked for the lost sheep as the great and good shepherd. You have to see from not from the point of view that man gives you as, oh, look, this is what the Bible says and you just got to believe it. No, you have to see it from the great perspective, from the Judaic perspective as to why this man is who he is. He is the Mashiach. He is the one who came to fulfill the laws. He is the one who came to sanctify God's name because when he treated every reject, every sick person, every outcast, when he came and he preached to them salvation, when he preached to them hope, when he preached to them about God the Father and his greatness of what he, of what he can do, what did he bring? He brought sanctification to God's name. That, my friend, is how you bring sanctification to God's name. By treating people the way God meant us to treat people. Treat people like the way my son treated the people. Because that's how my name gets sanctified. That's how I stay good in people's eyes. That's how I stay holy in people's eyes. That's how I look like a loving father in people's eyes. That's how I get my point across of how I become sanctified in people's eyes. By treating you like the way you were meant to be treated. The children that I'm willing to forgive and love and hug and find. Don't stress out. Don't let this world stress you out. Don't let this world stretch you out. I know I haven't mentioned a verse for the living word of God, but I will mention Psalms chapter 32, verse 7. And it says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from distress. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Do you hear that? You are my hiding place. God the Father, you're my hiding place. You will protect me from distress, the stresses of life. Oh my God, I just paid what? In seven years of putting gas in my car, I've never paid this much in gas. But I did today. I told my wife, I've owned my car for seven years and never have it cost me the, to, to fill my tank up with this much money. Yes, there's something going on, folks, in the economy. I had to tell you, yes, there is. Grocery prices going up? Yes, there is. Houses prices going up? Yes, it is. These are times, folks. Where I'm telling you, people are going to get stressed out beyond belief. And if you're in debt, and it makes it even worse. But you have to believe me that when the word of God says, you are my hiding place, my friend, God is your fortress. And that is where you can take refuge. He is your hiding place. 
You protect me from distress. He can protect you from the distress that's going to come out of you during these times. And you're going to need God more than ever. Because He, through you, through you, can make all the difference. While, while the Jew and the Gentile wait for the Messiah, I tell you the truth. You don't have to wait. Be filled with His Holy Spirit. Be filled with the energy, with the life, with the forgiveness, with the loving kindness, with the mercy, with the strength of Almighty God. For His Son has overcome the world. And if His Son can overcome the world, by God, you can overcome this world by getting filled with the living Spirit of Almighty God. Almighty Hashem, the Holy Name, the Holy One of Israel. Be filled with His Spirit. And now guess what? You are the walking light. People don't have to wait for the Messiah. For what? For the Spirit of the living God is here. When they see you, they can see the Spirit of the living, of the living God in you. They can see that spark. They can see that light. They don't have to go to Israel. Israel has come to them. The power of the living God has come to them. You are Israel. You are that light. You are that life of God that's in you. And that is what makes the difference. They don't have to wait for a Messiah no more. For salvation has come to them. Because when you speak, you're going to give them the good news. And, you're not, and you don't have to give them anything prepackaged. You give them everything organic. Because whatever God gives you, you just simply give it to them. To bless them, to pray for them, to forgive them, to heal them. Stretch forth your hand and see if God doesn't move. Move mountains. See if God still can't part the waters. See if God can't make the crippled walk and the blind see and the deaf hear. For here is the spirit of Mashiach. Once the spirit of Messiah is upon you, believe you me. God's name will be sanctified, and not for your sake, my friend, but for God's sake. And I'll leave you with that. And like I said, don't let this world stress you out. Psalm chapter 34, verse 19 through 20 says, Adonai is close to the brokenhearted and sees those crushed in spirit. He knows how the way you've been treated. He knows you can't make ends meet. He knows you're not feeling well. He knows how dejected you feel. He knows how lonely you feel. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he's the one that's going to say, no, boy, I'm going to grab you and I'm not going to let you go underwater. But like Peter, I'm going to pick you out of the water. I mean, I'm going to hold you right next to me. And don't look at those giant waves. Look at me and look at me. And if you look at me and believe, if you just believe, by God, we're both going to walk on water. My friend, these, these, these waves during these times are so enormous, you wouldn't believe it. And the waves that are coming for the months ahead of us, my God, you don't want to look at those waves. You don't want to look at those waves. But I'm telling you right now, right now is the time to head into the ark, just like Noah's ark. That ark is open. Head into that ark. Head into that hiding place. Get on your knees. Read the word of God. Let the Lord tailor you. He will show you. He will teach you. He is the great master. His son is the great master. And his son is the great rabbi. His son, in his son's name, there is authority. There's no doubt about this. God will show you the way. You know, there is only one way. There is only one God. Hear, O Israel, for the Lord our God is one. 
This is the truth. The Lord our God is one. And do you know who sits upon his right hand? Your advocate. Your brother. Your big brother. The good shepherd. More than willing to be your advocate from on high. He's more than willing, my friend. Why, why, why did they, why did they send a Messiah who suffered so much to represent us? Because, my friend, in this world, we suffer. We all suffer. And we need somebody who's already been in our shoes to represent us. To be. You know who was the mediator for Israel and God? Back, uh, back in Mount Sinai, back in those days? The mediator between man and, man and God back then was none other than the prophet Moshe. Moses. That was their mediator. Israel looked to Moses to hear from God. And Moses told them what God had to say. He was, he was that literal mediator between the house of Israel and God. And now Moses also prophesies of a great prophet who would be just like him. What? One who would be a mediator between God and and the people. He fits the same sandals that Moses did. But however, I know Moses didn't make it to the promised land. We all know that. Messiah, can he can he get you to the promised land? I tell you this. He is the example of what it takes to get to the promised land. He's the living example of God the Father. He's the living example of how we should treat other people. He's a living example of how God feels towards us, of what God wants to do for us, of how God wants to help us. He's the living example of how God's name can be sanctified. That's what he is. He's the living example. And if we can focus on his teachings and how he treated people and what he did, then no doubt about it, we know that God's right-hand man definitely has our back. He is our great master, he is our great rabbi, and he has now become the right arm of God the Father and the hand of authority. So, let us not forget that Yeshua, Jesus, just he isn't just anybody, all right? He's equivalent to Joseph, son of Joseph, if you will. Joseph, who was what? Second to Pharaoh in Egypt. And nobody could get to Pharaoh unless they what? Went through Joseph, right? Second in command. There's no need for you to speak to Pharaoh if you can't get through Joseph. Because trust me, if, you, if Joseph isn't on your side, don't expect Pharaoh to be on your side. And that's what I'm trying to get to. If Joseph isn't on your side, don't expect Pharaoh to be on your side. And that's why I'm telling you. We need not only God's grace, but we also need God's favor. And that's what we want. We want to fall into God's favor by accepting Jesus, Rabbi Yeshua, Master Rabbi Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, accept him 
as the Messiah and believe that he is the one who came to what fulfill the law. It doesn't mean that the law disappeared. No, my friend, the, 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 all the post signs are still there. All the law is still there. Remember, heaven and earth will, can pass away, but the law remains. All right, or I'm sorry, it, heaven and earth would have to pass away before even the law passes away. The law isn't going nowhere. The law is here to stay. These goalposts are there for a reason. It's to keep us focused so we can stay on the road. But know this, the law isn't, isn't, isn't going to what? The law isn't going to change your corrupt heart. Okay? It's not going to, to change your corrupt heart. Why? Because that's what God wants to do. He's, 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 looking more, he's looking more than just for you following the law. He's looking for a circumcised hearts. So get your heart circumcised. Get your hearts clean. It's not what about what you put in your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth, as the great rabbi says, as the great Mashiach, Messiah says. And let the world know that, yes, you don't have to, and I don't want you to take it from me that he's Messiah, that he's Mashiach. I want you to get on your journey and I want you to find out for yourself. I want you to grab the sugar and the oil and I want you to bake and I want you to form the dough and I want you to do everything you can with the word of God. Seek God while he may be found. Seek God every day because this is how you will come to know his ways and his word and eventually his will. It'll all come together as one. I have much more to tell you, but I'm telling you, it all comes down to you. It comes down to labor. It comes down to thou, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Too many people don't know what it means by strength. You know what strength means? Strength means you got to put in the work. You got to put in the labor. That labor is what? You physically seeking God. You physically praying. You physically talking to him. You physically reading his word. That's the strength for the love of God. Besides your heart, besides your mind, and besides your soul, where is your strength, oh you my lions? Stop hanging around with the hyenas because then you'll start acting like a hyena. We, I want you to tell you, hang around the lions and you'll stay like a lion and be like a lion. And here is a lion amongst you to tell you that God is king. King of kings and Lord of lords and ruler of the universe. And know this, that his Messiah has come and his Messiah will come again. So, brothers, God bless you. And, and for those, and, and for those who, who have invited the Sabbath by, by saying the blessings, God bless you too. And Shabbat Shalom to individuals uh, of, of all as well, to everybody back there. God bless you. And so... I want to thank you for listening and for stopping by at Jacob's Kitchen. I, I hope you had your fill. And I, I pray to Almighty God for y'all. Whatever you're going through, I want you to I want you to keep hope alive. I want you to know that 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 your heavenly father is not gonna let you drown. He's not. But know but but know this that that you that you must you must believe. My dear children, believe so that you can receive. 
Believe so that you can know. Believe so that you can see. And by God, we can walk on water. Amen and amen. And God bless you and have a good night. This is Shay Benyakov signing off from Jacob's Kitchen.